You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Charles Tirrett, pros in effortless menswear, whether you need a casual weekend look or sharp tailoring. Our friends at Charles Tirrett will be sponsoring the podcast for the month of June and until the end of June, we're offering our listeners 20% off with the code WISDENPOD. That's W-I-S-D-E-N-P-O-D to use online or simply quote in store. I'm Yaz Rana, and with me today is the features editor of Wisdom.com, Taha Hashim, and the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Taha, what's your moment of the week? I guess it has to be sort of the unveiling, kind of the unveiling, I guess, of Brendan McCullum as England's head coach. He's obviously been, you know, his appointed a few weeks ago, but uh, last Friday was when he kind of was, was in town, was at Lords, and spoke to the press and, and did all the, the kind of duties you have to do when you first get the job. Uh, and before he'd even said a word, you can kind of see it's a new era. You turn up, there's McCullum, new kit. skinny jeans, white Nike trainers. The tracksuit uh, top didn't quite fit him though. It was a little bit too big for him and it was quite quite creased, I thought. <laughs> I, I thought it looked good. I thought it looked good. I didn't really, yeah. Um, if you thought it looked good, then that's enough for me. Yeah. How, how tight were the jeans? They were pretty tight. Skinny yeah, fit definitely or skinny? No, definitely skinny fit. Not Really? Skinny fit. Yeah, skinny fit. Punchy work. Yeah, I mean, he pulls it off. You would see good. Duncan Fletcher in then, would you? <laughs> exactly, that's the thing. I was, that was my kind of thing. This, is the, this, might, this may be the first England coach. This is what's called a takeaway. Uh, and, and, and this is your moment of the week. Brendan yeah. McCullum, how he dressed. Yeah, well, because look, <laughs> when, when he talked, it was kind of like, you kind of expected what he was going to say, right? It's not, he was, yeah, he's going to play positive cricket, that kind of thing. And it's like, well, we, all kinda, we already kind of knew what, what he was going to say. He was going to be confident. The aim will obviously be to be the number one test team in the world. Like, you know, of course. That's going to be it. Uh, it was, you know, it was interesting in parts where he kind of says, look, like we're going to play positive cricket, but, you know, I don't expect anyone, everyone to bat like how I did or how Ben Stokes bats. Because that is the one thing that I think kind of gets overlooked with his New Zealand team. 
they played positive cricket, but everyone played their sort of own way. It's not like Kane Williamson was trying to hit his first ball for six like McCullum would. Um, so there's the, that, that kind of nuances that he spelled out. But overall, it was expected what he was going to say. He was where he was kind of at his best, really, uh, was when he was linking the fortunes of England to the overall health of Test cricket. Obviously, he ended his career as that guy who was playing T20 cricket around the globe. But the love has always been there for Test cricket. He still sees that as the pinnacle. And he spelled out quite clearly that if England do well here, that's that's good for Test cricket because this is a country that, that backs and supports Test cricket. Um, and wanting to see the next generation of players that come through, that we might be, you know, we might already well be in a generation where young players come through and they just see T20 cricket and that's it. And his what he would like to see is those young players now come through and they look at the test team and what the test team's doing and they basically want to be a part of that. So that, that's where the kind of the, the romantic in McCollum came out. Mm. Well, as well as talking about young players coming through, he also talks about old players coming back and he talked specifically about T20 players possibly coming back. And I'll read out a few interesting quotes that he gave to the Sunday papers. On Butler, he said, Joss is one of those players you look at instantly and think, how could he be so dominant in one form in the game and not quite have found his feet other than a few fleeting performances in test cricket? There's certainly guys you look at and think there's a lot of talent that could improve the side given the right opportunity. There's no reason why, if you're good at T20 cricket, you can't bring those skills into test cricket. And you look at some of those guys who have dominated the IPL in the last two months. It's just a matter of trying to identify how they're going to do that. But my mentality is, if they're the best cricketers, why not have the conversation and see where they've got to? The Daily Mail since reported that Moeen has spoken to Brendan McCullum and is reportedly ready to make a comeback uh, in Test cricket. I mean, there's a fair bit to unpack there. Andrew asks, does anyone on the panel have the energy to talk about potential Test recalls for Moeen and Rashid? Players coming in and out of retirement feels exhausting. Well, I'm willing to give it a go. A couple of questions, Phil. One, is McCollum just being polite and are we possibly reading too much in it? He just doesn't want to close the door on anyone. And then number two, if we're not reading too much to it, into it and a return for some of these guys is on the cards, haven't we been here before with the Trevor Bayliss era and it didn't work out that well? It's the statement of intent, isn't it? It's saying... This is this is year dot. We are we are starting afresh. We're starting from scratch. Nobody's off the table. No name is off the table. No red line has been put through anybody's reputation. Uh, and the, the, there's a sort of studious simplicity to what he says, you know, and a no nonsense approach, which I guess is consistent with saying that nobody is retired if they want to unretire themselves. Um, the nuts and bolts of, of Moeen and Rashid, it seems to me that it, it's it's broadly unworkable, not least because of the schedule. You know, and, and Adil Rashid hasn't bowled a red ball since probably the last game he played for England, I would imagine. He's certainly not bowled for Yorkshire, so he couldn't have bowled for anybody else. So he hasn't bowled a red ball for two or three years. Moeen doesn't play red ball cricket either, really. Um, and so on the, the issue of those two in particular, it seems implausible. It seems like uh, he is using those two stories as representative of a broader philosophy that that doesn't rule anybody out. Um, the resistance to the idea of Moeen in particular, I think Rashid is more of a, that's kind of, that one has gone. But the idea of Moeen is slightly less implausible than the idea of Rashid. And it, I've seen a few people tear their hair out and obviously that, beautifully phrased question suggests that 
yeah, we're going round and round in circles. And yet there was a groundswell of of uh, delight at the recalls of Anderson and Broad, who are, you know, Moeen, I think, is 35. Obviously, Broad is 35 now as well, and Anderson's a few years older. Uh, and they were recalled in part because they're deeply loved by the public, um, but also because the, the new attitude is the game on Thursday is the most important game you're ever going to play. And then the game the next week is automatically the most important game you're ever going to play. And there's been a shift in attitude and Stokes was very clear on this. I just want my best team for next week. Uh, so therefore, if you are playing um, Jeopardy cricket matches and each one is, is, you convince yourself that each one is the biggest game, then your best off-spinning all-rounder comes into 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 play and does he need to play five championship games for for Worcester no he probably just needs to play two take half a dozen wickets and then suddenly he he is a legitimate part of the conversation if in his heart of hearts he truly wants to be involved again they go to Pakistan in in October it's not beyond the realms is it that Moeen Ali who is probably feeling better about himself as a cricketer having completed the package He's a he's a, like a minor icon now in in Indian cricket in IPL cricket, and he he has a Test record which is on the verge of being um, not a great one but a very very good one. He's already a very proud England cricketer, part of that World Cup winning side. It's not implausible that he comes back into the the mix. I don't think it's not totally ridiculous. It's a bit dispiriting because. As you scan around, you'd like to think that you wouldn't go back to a 35-year-old retired off-spinning all-rounder. But as you scan around and you are looking for a player who, who slips in there at number eight, who's going to go at four and over, but is also going to win you a game or two with the ball and can change a game in a session with the bat, then he's still the best person to play that role. This is the thing. If you're picking a team for next Thursday, Moeen's record specifically at home is superb yeah. uh, looking at today in home test he averages 33 with the bat and 33 with the ball we've talked about on the show before you don't really need a containing spinner when you've got four quicks and Stokes is bowling a lot Moeen's strike rate with the ball in home test is the best of any English English spinner since the war couple of test hundreds in there as well He he's in England's best team if he's available um, I guess the problem we talked about a lot last summer there's not an opportunity for players to play much first-class cricket once the test summer begins. There's a couple of Red Bull games in June, July, but there, uh, I think at least one of those rounds coincides with the Netherlands ODI series, which Moeen, you'd assume, would be a part of. You can't consider picking him unless he plays every available Worcester four-day game from here before the first test match against South Africa in the latter part of the summer. Mm. It's, it's, <laughs> you can't just revert from bowling 24 balls every three or four days to bowling long spells um, in, in the dirt of test cricket. So he has to, if he's serious about this, he has to, and not just him, but the setup has to come to an agreement whereby if, if Worcester, I think, will have probably three games across the middle part of the summer before that first test against South Africa, and he is probably serious about this, then he has to go and play all of those games and then see where you get to. And it might be that it, it doesn't work out for him for, for Worcester, in which case you're picked on a, on a, on a general level, of course. But uh, if this is not just Sunday, you know, newspaper chat, if, if there is a bit more substance behind it, Taha thinks he knows, he knows one or two 
people who have been talking about this as well and that you know there is some kind of truth behind behind the rumor then it, if that is the case then let's let's see how serious we really are about it you know and then and then Moen will be rocking up at New Road in a few weeks time um I kind of wonder how much away from the sort of Moen Rashid thing but the whole idea of these guys who are dominate T20 and bringing them into that's great. I wonder how much McCullum's thinking around that is influenced by the career he had because he was a guy who could do it across all formats. He could, you know, bludgeon against T20 and then score a triple hundred in, in test cricket. He was a proper test player. Um, it, it took um, him a then, while though, but by the way, yeah. it did take him a while. I mean, he was, he was a keeper and a flighty number seven, eight. And then because they didn't have a massive strength in depth in New Zealand, they popped him up to number five as an yeah. experiment. And I think it was, oh, I can never remember but the year. But when he made that night, 2000, what was it, sorry? Yeah, what, when, he, when he really cracked Test cricket. Yeah, he made a 97 at Lords in the first Test match at number five. And it was an experiment to bat him at number five. And then from there on, he became a maker of hundreds in the top six. But he struggled for a, quite a while to define himself. But yeah, and then, but my, my sort of, what I wonder now is that, as he actually starts coaching and we now see, you know, dealing with the calendar that England deal with specifically rather than say New Zealand as well, how, whether his, his view changes. Because right, when he was speaking in his press conference, he was talking about the T20 players who dominate the IPL and he, and he, you know, he posed the question, why can't these guys dominate in test cricket? There's, he didn't really see the barriers there. And I wonder now he's in this setup and he sees how it works. And the fact that you do have two different coaches as well, which highlights the divergence yeah. that he begins to understand that, you know, he probably does understand, but he sees it more clearly, the kind of the difficulties you have with getting a player who can do it all because it's becoming increasingly hard. You can't pinpoint anyone right now in the world who say they can just dominate every single form. Yeah, and you're, you're bang on. It's a very astute point. Um the game has also intensified. That question that you raise has become more and more pronounced in, in recent years. But funnily enough, if you are looking for somebody who did manage to, to combine those cultures, it, 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 he's a pretty good example. He's a pretty peerless example, Brendan McCullum himself, who maintained a sort of integrity for test cricket while also walking that very, very thin tightrope between personal advancement um quietly prioritizing your IPL contract while not putting anybody's noses out of joint with New Zealand cricket uh and he did that very effectively so he will understand not just the physical requirements of shifting from format to format but also the psychological uh challenges that come with that so I think he will pull that off he, he will have an understanding of that Albeit, as Taha rightly says, the equation is not quite as clear now as it, as it was seven, eight, nine years ago when McCullum was still, you know, a very much a going concern in the world game. On Butler, I don't want to get shot down again, but look, if he is rested, and he should be, I mean, he picked up literally four different checks yesterday afternoon um, watching the IPL finish. I mean, that is a man at ease in his own skin. He might not need it. But look, if he if he really, really wants it and if he feels like with a new broom he can step back into that team with nothing to prove, then there is undoubtedly still a test cricketer in there. Undoubtedly. Sorry, just one last point. You we were talking a bit 
talking about Moeen there and kind of all these guys who can't really play county championship stuff because they're playing all this white ball stuff. Um, and this isn't to do with those guys who are already established in international cricketers, but the more you have guys who come through playing a lot of white ball stuff and struggling to play county championship cricket, I really think it's more and more important that that England line set up helps these guys. Like someone like Liam Livingston, we talked about this kind of end of last year when Livingston didn't get in that line squad for Australia. The line squad kind of, right now, it mainly looks like guys who get their rewards for a really good county championship season. I think there has to be that balance of guys who aren't able to play county championship, but you think they're a really good cricketer in there. Let's just give them a, a game in the lines and that kind of thing. And that's where you can get someone like Livingston playing Red Bull cricket. You know, it wouldn't be during the summer. It could be like off-season, a Lions tour somewhere. Um, I know that there's always going to be another tournament somewhere that they could be playing, but that could be where England try and strike that balance. Phil, just on what you were saying about Butler, we've talked about him a lot on this show as a test cricketer and we kind of agree that his test record is 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 better than people give him credit for. It's okay. The it's one, just not as good the as one, it could be. Exactly. The one thing I'd say is, though, I really hope he doesn't play a test match this summer. Fine. I think um, I think your points are valid, but you, we're struggling to fit Harry Brook into 11 at the moment. And I think Harry Brook deserves a shot before Just Butler deserves another shot at the moment. And I think that's that's broadly fair. Yeah, um, I can see that. They're not necessarily like for like. That's and, true. And, and three test matches... Uh, you know, can can still be quite a, quite a stretch. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in the positive and the negative. You know, Johnny Bairstow four Test matches ago wasn't really part of the equation. Now he's he's England's big banker in the middle order. Look, we shall see. Uh, so much of it comes down to to his own volition, I think, with Butler. Anyway, here's uh, Butch's take on the possible Test returns of Moeen and Co this summer and beyond. But let's start with um, Brendan McCullum this week. He's bigged up the possibility of England's star white ball players who are not currently in the test setup either coming back or being brought into the test setup either now or sometime in the new, near future. The likes of Moeen, Butler, and possibly even Rashid and Livingston down the line. What do you make of that? Um, well, I mean, it's a, it's a great idea. I, I'm, I'd be surprised if it wasn't one that his predecessors had had at some point. Those guys with the exception of the ones who haven't pl- uh, played before, like Livingston, um, have kind of an exp- expressed a wish not to, not to play the format anymore. Um, if, if Baz McCullum has the powers of persuasion to, to turn those guys' um, views around um, the positions of their careers and, and you know, how, how they see uh, themselves as cricketers, then, then he is a bit of a genius, I suppose. But it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I suppose perhaps more from the point of view that it, that it shows that, that McCullum is kind of, is not writing anything off or is kind of not a, not a closed, you know, there isn't sort of some sort of closed shop around the England team. He, he, wants, to, he wants the best players that he can possibly get um, available and playing. Um, and he'll do anything that he can to try and make that happen. Um, whether or not he can, he can do what other successive coaches have failed to be able to do in terms of persuading a lot of those guys mentioned to, uh, to, to, to put themselves forward for Test Match cricket again remains to be seen. I guess one of the problems with the schedule as it is, is there's very little first-class cricket once the Test summer actually begins. And England have got seven Test matches this summer. And if things don't go that well, would you be against, in principle, be against the likes of Moeen 
and or Butler ever coming back without actually playing that much first-class cricket? Or do you think that's an essential thing to, to decide to do? I mean, it, it's not ideal, simply from the, from the point of view of um, maintaining the morale of the people who are playing first-class cricket. I mean, you know, what's the point of uh, Ben Compton, for example, or, you know, Josh Bohannon or Sam Robson, whatever, making loads of runs in, in, in first-class cricket? Um, only to be uh, only to be overlooked for people who don't even bother to play it. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of you've got an existential crisis right there, haven't you? If that becomes the case, but I, you know, I think I suppose again, you have to be slightly pragmatic. It's coming into a system, our system, which is in kind of disarray at the moment in terms of the, the way that the schedule's worked out and what what the priorities are in terms of the, the first class system and the short form systems. And so, and so, you know, it, it could be that you end up in a situation where you desperately need a, a, an off-spinning all-rounder in, in Murray and Alley, or we get a very dry second half of the summer and England needs to play, play two spinners, and Adil Rashid happens to be the, a better option than, than Matt Parkinson, though how we would know that, um, given that he's, he's not played yet. I, so, so I think, again, I'm taking it all with a slight pinch of salt in that it, basically that reading between the lines, what he's saying is that nobody is ruled out until they are absolutely 100%, until they, he's asked them the question and they've looked him in the eye and said, sorry, mate, I'm, I'm not changing my mind, then he's, then he's keeping his options very much open. New Zealand lost to the County Select eleven this week, uh, a team with 10 uncapped players, captained by Dom Sibley. Can we read too much into the results of warm-up games? I mean, two things this one is, first of all, you don't get many warm-up games anymore. And two, no. you don't get many warm-up games uh, actually being streamed ball by ball. So, you know, sometimes you can look at a scorecard and someone's not had a great day, but you don't actually know that if you've not watched it. Whereas this, you could actually watch it and be like, oh, so-and-so's not had a good game in the ball, so-and-so's not had a good game in the bat. Um, yeah, can, can, you re- can you make too much out of warm-up game results? Um, I mean, the, the, I guess the issue really is that the, the, the New Zealanders would be able to turn around and say, well, look, we, we bowled nine bowlers in the second innings and we had people flying back in from the IPL halfway through the game. I, th- I, I, don't think you, I don't think there's much you can read into the result itself. Um, I, I suppose there are crumbs, of, they're not crumbs of comfort, but they're definitely signs of encouragement for England in that Kane Williamson, who seemed to have a, a really miserable time of it in the IPL, has come over and made a duck. He hasn't had the chance to kind of get any time in the middle. That's a, that's a plus. Um, you know, Jamie Porter's dismantling of, of, of New Zealand's Batting a lineup in the second half would give, you know, gives you know, James Anderson and Stuart Broad an enormous amount of comfort in that, you know, a, a seam, seam bowler, ain't a very typical English seam bowler, no, no great pace or whatever, has been able to knock the moment for, for very few in their second innings. Um, I, I just think, you know, I mean, going back to my own personal experience, I didn't really set much stall over whether I scored too many runs in the warm-up games or not, so it didn't bother me a great deal. And I'm sure it won't be bothering them a massive amount. Um, but it does it does go to highlight just how daft um, scheduling, how difficult scheduling is. So probably not daft, but how difficult scheduling is, um, given that the New Zealanders would have loved to have had a couple of first-class games, I'm sure of it. And in the end, they ended up with a with a bizarre hodgepodge of a, of a, of a warm-up match, which they tried to give every single one. How many guys have they got in their squad over here? 18 or something? They tried to give virtually everybody a run-out at some point during it. And so... You can't really read too much into them losing the game, I'm afraid. But, you know, England, the, the England side or the, the county select 11, these guys are all battle-hardened, um, having had five, six weeks of non-stop first-class cricket. So they're, they're all in nick. They're in, 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 um, 
in sync with the conditions and they played bloody well and, and well done to them. Well done to Ben Compton, well done to Jamie Porter. Hmm. I guess it's a sign sort of how disrupted New Zealand's uh, prep has been. They had a warm-up game against Sussex and quite a few players had COVID, so they didn't play that. And as you say, players flying in from the IPL for this one. Um, so just finally, Butch, how do you, how do you see the, the series going? Um, well, I mean, given the, all of the talk around England and the changes, et cetera, et cetera, again, you, you kind of, you look at England's likely 11. In terms of the personnel, there are still, well, as far as I see it, you've got Lees and Crawley, neither of whom would be guaranteed to start against South Africa later on in the summer. You've got Pope at number three, which is a, which is a, a gamble. It was a bit of a, almost a shot in the dark, not quite, but almost. You've got Bairstow at number five, who, who perhaps is, that's his worst position anywhere in the batting lineup, number five. <laughs> um, you've got Ben Folks, who despite averaging, what, 98 in the championship, had a, had a really anonymous time of it in, in the West Indies and perhaps, perhaps more worrying for him, did not keep particularly well out there either. Um, Craig Overton, who I think, I think I might have said in the previous pod, if, if there hadn't been so many, so many injuries, he wouldn't be anywhere near the 11. Um, and then you've got Broad, Leach, Anderson, who are all, you know, Stokes, Root, who are all sort of, you know, guaranteed to be in the lineup at the moment. So I, I reckon England have got six or seven players um, in this in this eleven in the first test match, who are kind of you know hanging in there, you know, or try, trying desperately to make a place their own. Um, whereas you look at New Zealand side, they're they're very settled. They've got one or two issues. You know, even if Trent Bolt doesn't make it to play in that first, they have got um, a, an embarrassment of riches to, to to pick from, and should be too strong for for this England team at the moment. Um, and I don't think that there's any there's any sort of hyperbole in saying that. I think you've got you know world test champions versus a side who are one from seventeen. Um, so you know that that's where we are. However, Lords, um, you know a bit of a, a fruity pitch, a, a decent a, you know a toss goes your way, and a, an excellent bowling performance and a batting performance in the first innings, and you can find yourself on top and, and one nil up um, in the blink of an eye. So. Uh, mm. That's the, that's the hopeful side of it, anyway. Yeah, I guess England do just have this stubbornly decent record in home tests. They haven't been a great test side for a very long time. Yeah, mm. with the exception of that New Zealand series last summer, they haven't actually lost a series at home since, what, 2014? So, um, no. yeah, but, but then again... No, I mean, New Zealand haven't, New Zealand haven't lost a, you know, haven't lost a test match in England since 2015, have they? So, I mean, they're... they're and, and their conditions at home, one would argue, are not dissimilar to the type of thing that we, that we come across as a, uh, on a regular basis in the early test matches of the summer anyway, a little bit green, a little bit of swing and seam, etc. So, um, you know, again, all of the, the portents without, without any sort of emotion point towards New Zealand being too strong for England. But you're quite right. We, we, we tend... We tend to do okay at home, and why wouldn't we? Cheers, Butcher. Reminder that if you buy the Wisden Rye or the Rye gift set from the Wisden shop by the end of May, so 11.59pm on Tuesday, you'll be invited to a whiskey tasting session over Zoom with Butch and the Oxford Artisan Distillery Head of Whiskey, Charlie Eckland. The tasting will be on Zoom at 7pm on June the 9th. Cheers for your time, Butch. See you next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A county select 11 captain by Dom Sibley featuring 10 uncapped players beat New Zealand at Chelmsford this week. Jamie Porter's second innings five for reduced New Zealand to nine for five and then 19 for six in New Zealand's second innings. Ben Compton scored a fourth innings 100 in the chase of 264, which the county select 11 comfortably chased down. Compton has now scored more than a thousand red ball, but not first class runs before the end of May. The game did not carry first-class status. We've we've talked about his story before, but it is truly a crazy run of form for a guy who didn't have a contract at the start of the winter. And this time he's done it against attack. It's not a million miles off New Zealand's first-choice lot. Tim Southey, Wagner, Jameson, Henry, Patel and De Grandom all, all bowled a lot in this game. I've watched a lot of him this summer and he looks very solid to me. I mean, this is a compliment. He bats a lot like Keaton Jennings, I think. He's um, very, very still at the crease and his feet don't move that much. He just kind of waits for the bowlers to bowl at you. Um, There's a lot in that if you are an opening bat. Yeah. You know, you play compact. You play within yourself. There are not too many extravagant movements. Uh, I, I, ha- I have to confess, I haven't seen too much of him aside from the highlights. So I haven't watched too much live stuff with him. But those numbers are staggering. Uh, we spoke about the, the, the vicissitudes of form, if you like, last week, didn't we? And, and what constitutes real substance and what constitutes your purple patch that you tell your grandkids about. And we don't know yet with, with Ben Compton. But let's not throw it forward and do that irritating journalistic thing of imagining what, what, it's, what it means. Let's just appreciate it for what it is. Uh, and also... While, again, it's a very journalisty thing to go on about a thousand runs before May and, you know, in honour of Joe Harmon in absentia here, who, <laughs> who's obsessed with it. Uh, but poor, poor kid, man, that that game wasn't, wasn't first class because... Especially the calibre of that attack yeah, as well. Yeah, that is brutal, um, brutal luck. But, I think but look, that, yeah, unbelievable numbers, it, unbelievable numbers. But I think it's a compliment to him that we are then, we are talking about these annoying, annoying journalistic stuff that we're obsessed by. You know, like one of the things that I've thought watching in this season is there is that classic question mark against a county cricketer who is about to possibly make the step up of like what, what are they like against the genuine quicks. He's hurried by Jamie Overton in the game against Surrey and Carl Jameson had some success against him with a short ball in this game. But it's like that classic pub question when you're playing club cricket how many hundreds do you need to score in a row before you play test cricket for England when you're just a tub club cricketer <laughs> it's been coming pretty much in the middle of this run um, and it's I guess it's not that unthinkable now that he's in an England Lions squad at least whenever the next one is selected what was he playing like 12 months ago as well uh, county county twos basically yeah. county twos then had some time in Zimbabwe scored millions of runs there now he's averaging 100 this summer J- just um, as just as an aside, really, talking about players coming in from county cricket and, you know, he might be fast-tracked in, you never know, but say someone like Rory Burns came in after many, many years of regular run scoring and, and he says himself, the step up is, is staggering, uh, incomprehensible, the jump. 
And what he's really talking about and what they, as opening bats, tend to talk about, it's the pace. It's sim- it's, that's what it is. Now, someone like Burns, and it hasn't worked for him as of now, uh, in that he's not in the side, but he had to adapt his game on the hoof when he started opening for England. And I've watched loads of Rory Burns over the years. He wasn't a player that had much in the way of cross-bat shots. He didn't really have a pull shot on a hook shot. And you saw it as well when he first went into the England side. He didn't really have those two shots. Certainly not that he was able to play. By the end of his test career, almost paradoxically, he had a few more shots to play because he'd brought them into his game as a way of surviving. Because if you're going to get bombed by quicks on, on quick tracks around the world, then you need to find a way to get rid of that ball that's up around your armpit. Um, Compton is another left-hander. He will be considering these equations as well. If he's anything like his cousin, then Nick Compton famously trained himself to bat in the dark under murky indoor school lights that have been dimmed down. The bowling machine from 18 yards, banging it it in at 90 mile an hour and see how he can dodge and weave it uh, in those kinds of conditions. All opening bats try and do this, as they should, but there's a difference between simulating it and actually experiencing it. Uh, but what you've seen, just looking through Compton's story, as, as you say, quite a well-travelled cricketer, quite an itinerant cricketer, a bit of a survivor, a bit like Devon Conway, actually. You know, gone round the backwards a little bit. Now he's ended up here. Um, you feel like that kind of backstory would probably stand him in pretty good stead, I think. And while I admit, as I say, I haven't seen too much of him aside from highlights. Uh, if he were to be brought into an England setup at some point, then like all with like with all these openers, you have to give them at least a dozen Test matches just to acclimatise to the difference of what it is. We've all watched loads of county cricket. I've seen some good county cricket this year that uh, with seam attacks that would not intimidate, you know, good Saturday afternoon cricketers. They'd get them out, but they wouldn't intimidate them. And that is the fundamental difference. Mm. Matt asks, it feels easy to say this now with the recency bias of this weekend, but are this New Zealand side vulnerable? They didn't have a great home test summer by their standards. They've lost Ross Taylor and BJ Watling, who are huge losses. Kane Williamson is not only short of runs, but short of test matches. And there's no Trent Bolt for the first test match. So we've talked a lot about England in the run-up to this series, but how about... New Zealand. I watched a fair bit of this game and they weren't great. A batting collapse in the second innings, but Carl Jameson was poor. He went at four and over across the game. Neil Wagner bowled like a 36-year-old. Patel picked up a few wickets, but Compton and Nick Gummins were reverse sweeping him at ease. Could England do okay? Yeah, I mean, they've not had it easy basically since they won the World Test Championship. Have they won a Test Series since then? Uh, no. Yeah. Lost in um, India, drew against Bangladesh, drew and against Africa. Yeah, didn't win a series at home. And the, the key thing at home was you didn't have Williamson, um, who's kind of the one I'm kind of obviously most interested by, not only because he is their best player, but he hasn't played a test since that India tour. He's had a problem with his elbow for, you know, quite a long time now, more than more than a year. It's kept him out of a lot of test cricket. Um, and now he's had kind of a stinker of an IPL season as well. Uh, and is now coming straight into this test series. Um, so that New Zealand team, it felt like everything was building towards that World Test Championship final and that was their moment and they they nailed it. Uh, and now, you know, they had Ross Taylor hit the winning runs there and now he's gone. Watling left and we're kind of now 
we're going through the phase now where the, the sort of the transition starts. And so you'd probably say that they're not as strong as team as they were just, you know, the, the one that came last year, basically, because that was the team that kind of was building up to that moment. The, the, the England series was like a warm up to them beating India in a World Test Championship final. But still, look, England have been <laughs> yeah. bad. New Zealand, New Zealand are still favourites, right? Yeah. They've got to be. Um, I don't think, I, I don't see them as favourites. And I don't think the bookies will either. The bookies don't. There you go. England are marginal but not, That's also because people tend to bet on yeah. their own team, of course. But, but look, we said it, said it the other week. New Zealand beat England 1-0 last year. It's the first home, home defeat that they've had in the best part of a decade. Um, and that was a peculiar little series anyway, bit of, bit of nip and tuck. England were kind of up in that Edgbaston game. Obviously, it's a new start with England and it's very unpredictable and all of that. But Taha's right about what he says about New Zealand. You know, they, are, they are listing a little bit um, and they are not the automatic picked 11 or maybe 10 with, with potentially one extra seamer or one, or one left arm spinner. Uh, it is a bit higgledy-piggledy at the moment. They, do, they have lost their two rocks in the middle order in Taylor and, and Watling. And, and while it was a real high watermark and an amazing achievement to take themselves to, that, to the pinnacle of Test cricket, uh, I remember people... Joe wrote about it, actually, you know, and, and there was that sense, and he spoke to a couple of New Zealand journalists as well who know the team very intimately, and there was that sense that maintaining that level will be incredibly difficult and almost more challenging than actually getting there. Uh, Conway is an interesting player, though. Uh, a potential top, top player. And it was obviously unstoppable when they came over here last year. Uh, he could have a good series and set them up and, and, and then their seamers will do the business. You know, Matt Henry will be in the squad. Uh, if Bolt doesn't make it, that's a big miss for sure, but they will still have quality in the seam bowling attack. Uh, Patel, all right, sure he took a ten for. You can't really knock that in one inning. He, got George, test, he bowled really well here last summer. I that one test. I didn't think he did. I I covered that Edgbaston game. I was there every day for that. Watched every ball, and I didn't think he did bowl that well personally. He, he got he got Pope out with a bit of a long hop, caught a slip in that first uh, on first day. Um, he didn't really do too much else to pick up a couple of cheap wickets, but it was interesting that he didn't play in South Africa. wasn't even picked for that tour, uh, and he, he didn't play at yeah certain home test matches in New Zealand. He hasn't played even after that ten for. Um, so he's a useful containing left arm left arm spinner, but I don't think he's really going to. He shouldn't bother too many teams away from home in English style conditions I think England go in there as, as, as slight favourites I think it'll be a good series between two you know vulnerable teams at different points in their, in their story I think it is I reckon it, England will win it 2-1 I think it is important I, I agree with everything that's been said so far but I, th I do think it is important to remember just how bad England have been over what is now a pretty long stretch um, that is just going to be quite hard to reverse in, in what will be quite a similar okay. set up alright but at home they played the best team in the world last year if not if it's not Australia then it's India right you can flip a coin for the best away team last year they played India and, and firstly that series is weirdly still alive <laughs> secondly they beat India by an innings and thirdly in the two London test matches England went into day five in a stronger position than India 
and then got blown away by an all-time great fast bowler and both on both occasions um and this was when England were presumably in the doldrums and it was the fag end of Roots Roots time and they had injuries here there and everywhere and and all of that they are still very very difficult to break down at home doesn't matter doesn't matter how low an ebb they are culturally I completely agree I just think that England will have I think England are more than capable of having two absolute shockers with a bat out of six innings and that's the series oh yeah I mean that's like <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a given but <laughs> I, I think I think it will be a kind of a ding dong sort of battle. I think, I think mm. England's England seamers will have days out as well. Um, now Yaz has convinced me. Now I think New Zealand <laughs> will win like three nil. I just have no conviction in myself. I, I, I think England will win at Lords. I think New Zealand are undercooked. Yeah. I think their best player is obviously coming off the back of some bad form, really bad form. Albeit he always makes a hundred at Lords, Kane Williamson. But I, I think England will win at Lords. I think the the. The momentum is with them. I think the the buzz is with them, and I think is, is the momentum with England. Well, yeah. they've got the kind of what? like how well <laughs> because so much of it is up top, isn't it? So much of it is the perception of a new start. Everybody is refreshed. Root will be desperate to make runs. Anderson and Broad will walk in there feeling like the alphas that they are, uh, and Stokes. Stokes is captain in his first Lord's Test match. But, it, but it's such a similar team and group of players to the ones who just haven't won any Test matches. <laughs> <laughs> Details, <laughs> dear boy. Details. Um, I, could, I could see a sort of just like honeymoon bounce. Okay, new manager bounce. Yeah. 1-1. One, um, one. Excellent. <laughs> Simon asks, why haven't England had a warm-up game? Playing T20s as warm-up cricket? Question mark, question mark. It's the, it's the modern way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's... It's unsatisfying, uh, but that, th- th- this is mm. this is the nature of the beast. I, I was suppose. watching. I was watching the uh, Surrey Blast game here, and Ollie Pope came out at three, and I was watching with a friend who's very much invested in the in the fortunes of England's Test side, and he was just like, "I just want Pope to play straight in the V, just <laughs> leave a few, you know, nothing." And, he, and then you know he tries to ramp the the the, the spinner. Well, I, I saw him range hitting here last week. Sorry, I thought it was a deeply vulgar experience. You're England's <laughs> number three. What the hell are you doing? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Assuming that Stoke that folks is keeping at seven. Yeah. Who do you, Yazrana, bat at five? Uh, Brooke or the IPL's Johnny Bairstow? Oh, I mean, so for me, starting point is Harry Brooke has to play. Like, just thinking, not just for this, the form he's in, but also if you've got a player who's this talented, you want to give them the best possible opportunity of succeeding early on and giving them confidence in international cricket. So he plays. He's on an unbelievable run of form that I actually can't think of many England players who have come into a possible test debut in such good form and such momentum. And I think doing so well in the PSL different format sure at such a young age I think will give him confidence that he can succeed at a level that is above the levels that he's been at before he's doing so well get him in and then I would have Bairstow keeping I think I think that's just a stronger looking lower middle order of Brooks Stokes um, yeah but I didn't ask that you know but, but, but okay if folks is keeping I'd still play Brook okay you yeah I'd play Brook Irrespective of so, so again, folks keeping Bairstow sits on the on the Judy Dench. Yeah, I th- he's just like every time I've watched him bat in the last two months, he's just scoring runs. He just you know. Yeah. Okay. Just, Next question. Play. But look, uh, will I, he? Because there's a lot 
of energy for him everywhere with good reason. But I thought they'd already said he starts as first reserve and that Bairstow will automatically come back in because he's the man in form and he's the man with the, with the position. Can I just make the point that we're going to go down somewhere now um, <laughs> that I would have had Root at three because he did well there in the Caribbean and that problem was solved and now you're trying to solve that problem again so I'd, I'd have had Root at three and that way you could have had you could play Brook and Besto. yeah but then you, so then you wouldn't be playing Pope I wouldn't play Pope blimey okay well look do you think that they have the the balls to go in there and by, that, by them, I mean Stokes and McCullum in whichever order, probably that order. Do you think they have the, the gumption to go in there and to say to Ben Folks, you know, the, the, the tussled matinee idol, blue-eyed boy who's done nothing wrong and just come back in at the side and everybody's... Averaging 100 that. in the championship this averaging, summer Averaging well. 100 in the championship. Do they go and say to him, you're not keeping, Bairstow's keeping? Or do they go in there and say to Bairstow, who, you know... 200 can, can is his last four tests. Be, you know, a slightly tricky person to manage at times, but he's absolutely in the sweet spot of test cricket at the moment and is, is re, he's reborn as a test match player. Do they go to him and say, you're not playing either, mate, or either? Uh, all to play this lad who hasn't yet featured, who's really just getting going in his, in his career. If they do, it's one hell of a statement. I don't think that's going to happen personally. Yeah, so I don't think it'll happen either. I think, I think I, Brooke sits on the sits on Yeah. The bench. Do you remember Stokes' first test as captain? Drops to abroad. He's, he did, not, yeah. he's not afraid to make that big call. And so it's not out of the question that he can make another big call, mm. right? It's not out of the question. Uh, I'd just be surprised to see it. Um, yeah. And, and, and the, 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 the burble of criticism that hasn't yet come out in direction, in direction of him and McCullum, it will all start on Thursday morning. Come well, what may, what, whatever what, decisions they exactly. make. Exactly, I was going to say exactly it, that. Whatever that, decisions three, they make. Three, three doesn't go in at two, and pe- people will be up in arms at any of those eventualities. Either you're dropping the best young player around, you're dropping the, the man in form, or you're dropping the blue-eyed keeper, world-class keeper. Tar, what would you do for the bowling attack? So four out of Anderson, Broad, Leach, Overton, and Potts will play. Who are you leaving out? I think I leave out. Man, I might leave out Broad. <laughs> you can tell that he's thought deeply about this. <sighs> no, okay, because I don't want to be that guy who's like, oh no, you know, you need to have a strong back sport at number eight, you know, and you know, get Overton in just because of that. But then I'm being that guy, <laughs> and then that way I want Anderson in. It's very much like that, you know. You've convinced me on the pots angle, and he just looks good, uh, and I want a spinner. So that means I have to leave out Broad. I need to look at the stats. <laughs> I look at who bowls well at Lords. Um, seems dominating at Lords. Uh, it's the first Test match of the summer. It's going to be quite an overcast build-up to the week. It's going to going to be a bit of rain around in London in the early part of the week. Uh, if they don't pick Leach, I can well understand that. Um, especially with Root, no longer obviously saddled with the big job can come in there and, and, and bowl some very useful fill-in overs. I don't think uh, a left-arm spinner of any quality really is is going to change the, the direction of, of a Lord's Test match in, well, last week in May, first week in June, really. Um, equally, 
<laughs> you know, there's a there's a sameness to England's England's right arm medium fast fast medium attack uh, that would certainly give the impression of being slightly more versatile if they did have a have a slow bowler in there. Uh, I'm not sitting on the fence. I mean, unless unless it is raging sunshine and the promise of five days of 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 baked baking sun on that pitch, then I would I would probably leave leave Leach on the sidelines. Um, I'd certainly want to look at Potts. That to me is a no-brainer, and and also he can bat a little bit. So you know the the, the number eight issue is not a non-issue for sure, but it can be alleviated a bit. I think he's if more you, nine. Sure, really, yeah. he is. Yeah, um, but I don't think Overton has to play because he's useful with the bat number eight. Um, I think you pick your best for bowlers for for the conditions, um, and if it's a longer tail than normal, then so be it. Uh, um, but yeah, Potts for me is a definite Broad and Anderson look for, for PR purposes as much as anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine if you left them out. Uh, oh, so yeah, be, I, I, be I think, so I think funny. those those three for sure. And to me, it's, it's a it's a toss up between Leach and Overton. But I'd probably lean just towards Overton, who's again as as, as ever in in England. You know, he's been extremely effective again mm. this year. It would be so funny if they left out Broad Taha. The T20 Blast kicked off this week. Uh, the, the, the Roses game was was very good. An incredibly strong Yorkshire side in particular on paper. Milan, Root, Brooke, Rashid, Shanab Khan, Harris, Ralph. They tied against Lancashire. You watched a lot of that game. Enjoy it? I did. It was a tie. That's always enjoyable. Yeah, Brooke. Uh, we'll talk about Brooke again. He was quite brilliant. Um, got to 50 off. Just like this obscene ramp shot. And so I kind of had it on. Here was watching it on the TV while the uh, the Surrey game was playing out uh, against Glamorgan, uh, and very much by the end, the focus was very much on the TV <laughs> rather than the actual game that was playing out. Tim David was brilliant as well, coming coming into the well, Lancashire signing. side. Yeah, he, his record is ridiculous recently. And to think, sort of, yeah, this time last year he was kind of smashing it in the broad London. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you know, kind of found in. Netherlands and just sort of shipped over and no one really knew that much we knew he played for Singapore mm. uh, and he just hits it miles and then you know gets a hundred, hundred gig and just like plays in the final and uh, like, what's he done since he's just like he's played he's everywhere dominated basically. everywhere he's gone and he's got 95 or 43 in his first two games so far uh, that very very strong York side lost against Leicestershire yeah uh, yesterday re- which was a win. great result they, great they result. better say they needed that Leicester yeah I m- mentioned him on the pod before but Ben Mike looks like quite a good cricketer he's 23 bowls decent pace he, I think he went three for not that many off his four overs and looked uh, decent players found him quite hard to get away I thought yeah um, Adam Collins uh, said exactly the same thing to me on Friday night he had, having seen him play against Middlesex Mm. Uh, this year and he said yeah he looks like a really really good bowler good judge he's Adam Indeed. Um, elsewhere Paul Sterling hit youngster James Sales for 34 and over in Birmingham's win over Northant Sterling scored 100 in that game the only 100 of the competition so far absolute joy Paul Sterling he's brilliant Chris Benjamin's insane start to his T20 career has continued another one to Ho-Hoo a year ago we had no idea uh, who he was really? He hit, he's hit 11, 111 off 54 without getting so getting out so far. Um, his overall T20 average is 73.5 at a strike rate of 165, which is handy. Uh, Birmingham and Middlesex top their groups with three from three. 
Somerset are two from two at the time of recording. Middlesex, it's it's a whole completely different feeling around that club right now. Mm. Obviously winning hells, but you know, just like bringing a 3D in, kind of, obviously there's, you know, there's a new coach there. Um, A lot of very decent young players. Especially in T20 cricket as well. In T20, but also doing pretty well in the county championship. Mm. But in, in that Middlesex game, Owen Morgan left the field with a groin injury. Uh, that followed an interview he did with Will McPherson in the Evening Standard this week, which was quite eye-opening on what his short to medium-term future could look like. Um, I guess it was confirming what a lot of us suspected in that he might not play for that much longer. Um, He said, there's nothing specific injury-wise. I'm just old, I think. It takes longer to recover. I did play the two back-to-back games in Barbados, then I got injured. You shouldn't get injured warming up as a batsman, but I pulled my quad warming up, which means my body just didn't recover at all. He talked about not playing every T20 game for Middlesex this summer to look after his body. He also talked about how he's focusing on the T20 World Cup, which is this year, with the intimation very much being that the 2023 50-over World Cup in India next year feels quite far away and he said that there are contingency plans in place if his body lets him down etc we could very quickly be looking at the final few months of the Owen Morgan era yeah that for, for a while it seemed like that 2023 58 World Cup was all, always seemed quite far away but now this 2022 season seems really far away for Morgan as well like you know will he will he get there and what what's kind of also interesting is the the Matthew Mott appointment, um, you know, four year term, and his. It seems like his m- main remit is to basically plug that gap after Morgan goes, and it's very much everything is kind of pointing towards the end being pretty soon. And like that that interview was, a, you know, very interesting read, and he was very open about <laughs> like how his how his body is right now, um, and really, if you look at the last couple of years, he's just on the way it runs. He probably shouldn't be in that team right now. Really, he's really struggled. And even for a guy who always, who could go through a really horrible run, he always felt like there was, he'd have that one innings where everything changes. And then for the next 10, inning, 10 innings, he'd be in just, he'd, he'd have his hot streak. And it just doesn't seem like that hot streak's coming now. I thought it was a really astute interview that he gave to Will. Uh, and it has the effect of the punters reading it. And we there, we therefore, manage our own expectations of what what Morgan has left because he's openly managing his own. Uh, so it's, I'm not saying it was con- tr- contrived, but nothing Morgan says in the public realm is, is not considered beforehand and he's, he's as sharp as they come. And he knew, and I think he knows what he's saying there. He's saying that I'm not going to hang around beyond my sell-by date, right? I'm not going to to become... A problematic presence in what has been a well-oiled machine for quite a long time and the idea of contingency plans in the event of his collapse his physical collapse again is, is acknowledging that uh, the structures are, are so well established now that uh, we can treat the Morgan thing with maturely right and and so you throw it forward to the World Cup and you, you think, on the top of your head, you think, all right, shit. The g- games are going to be coming thick and fast, especially, you know, if you get down to the, to, the, to the final stages. Can his body hold up? And he's acknowledging that there's a big question mark against that, for sure. But then you also think England would go into that tournament with a 15, 
right? Probably. Not even sure if Liam Livingston makes that first 11 or if Sam Billings makes that first 11 or if Jack, um, Harry Brook makes that first 11, who's obviously a complete gun T20 player. And then you think just how versatile and flexible that side is, that batting side is, that they will have eight, eight batsmen who can all interchange. And sure, you'll have your top three established probably, but after that, players come and players go and they move up and down orders and some players don't get a hit for two, two or three games because they're down at number seven. And then you'd have Morgan, who may not be able to play every single minute of every single game, but he is the, the Sven Gali, the overseer of all of that. And you think about the pressure of, of a tournament and how it builds and builds and builds and how he's been there before and how he has this kind of, kind of mythic control over this, this team. And then it starts to make sense, even if he is... Uh, a reduced presence on the playing field itself. And and while initially you think, well, you can only go and captain that side in a big tournament if you're absolutely guaranteed of being able to play all the games. But then you think in reality, is it even necessary for him to be that role? Or can his presence as part of a 15 or a 16 just be enough in and of itself and he will play when he can? Hopefully he can you, play all the games. But if he can't, it's not catastrophic. You're talking about him as almost as if he's a coach. But and there so, is an element of that. So right? then, why, why doesn't he coach? <laughs> I mean, that that could be that could be just that could be an option, right? But also, his, his influence in English white ball cricket is so great. I don't actually think his presence is needed on the field as much as it did in 2015 anymore. Like Josh Butler is, you know, we, we we've all said that Matthew Mott's job is to oversee the transition from Morgan to probably Butler. But that's the transition started six years ago when, when Butler captained in Bangladesh. Butler is so clearly the next man who's going to take that job. Uh, he is one, he's one of the best white ball cricketers of all time who has played so much white ball cricket, IPL legend now as well. And that, that's not actually that difficult a transition, right? That's one of the simplest jobs um, you could ask for, really. Yeah. I mean, beware of, of, you know, throwing it too far forward. You never know. Uh, but... It it all looks there's a there's a there's a com- sense of completion if Morgan was to take the t- take the side to Australia in in October and the twenty three twenty three World Cup naturally the ego will be saying can I get there but to win that one you need to play eleven games of a hundred over cricket that is a big big ask and he said specifically for someone who will be what he'll be thirty seven and he and he said year. specifically with the T twenty World Cup. That yeah. the games aren't actually, they don't actually come that thick and fast in a T20 World yeah, Cup. So indeed, compared to like the indeed. blast where you have two games in three days, that doesn't really happen at the T20 World Cup. So that is physically more manageable than a lot of the cricket he has before then, including international bilateral series. He's, he's 36 um, in September. So he'll be 37 coming. for the 2023 so th- he World will Cup. be 37 for, yeah. for the 2023 World Cup. What's yeah. your moment of the week, Phil? Um, it's a bit of a cheat, actually, because I interviewed. Uh, Mark Wallace, who's the director of cricket at Glamorgan, um, and you know a fine, fine cricketer in his day, brilliant wicketkeeper, played a million games for them. Yeah, yeah, uh, smart bloke, really, really well versed in the game. And he was involved with the PCA, he's PCA chairman as well. Anyway, he's now director of cricket at Glamorgan. Now, I did this interview two or three weeks ago, but I copied it up last week, and I really got got back to it last week. So, crowbarring in my moment of the week, but. It's one of the more interesting interviews that I've done. Now, I, I wanted to talk to him because I'd heard that 
Glamorgan's approach to managing the cost of cricket, specifically for their talented young young people, uh, was bucking the cliche of it being a difficult game for people of lower economic incomes. And the statements made by Matt Pryor, whose daughter, I think, is in the Sussex setup, and echoed by Rob Key, whose children are also in the Kent setup, I believe. And they were both very vocal about this issue two or three months ago, and it was reported in Sky and on the BBC that uh, it's cost a lot of money for parents of those two county setups, Sussex and Kent, uh, to get their children through a county summer, uh, to pay for coaching, to pay for kit, to pay for travel, and so on and so on. And it all was reinforcing that idea, that very real idea, that cricket is a game that is hard to access for, for, for too many people. But I'd heard that Glamorgan were bucking the trend, so I spoke to Mark Wallace about it, and he and he told me that what Glamorgan have done since October 2020, actually, I thought it was pre-pandemic, but it was October 2020, they have overhauled their system completely and taken all uh, responsibility internally into the club. So Glamorgan Cricket now control uh, the whole setup of youth team cricket at the representative level. And it didn't used to be that. It used to be a separate organisation. They've brought it all under their umbrella. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker. Nobody pays a penny. No parent of any child in the setup at Glamorgan from under 13s all the way up to academy level. No child pays a penny for their own child's progression through the ranks at Glamorgan. They cover all the costs. And the reason being that he says it's a twofold thing. One, Wales is a less socio-economically prosperous area than many other parts of the country. There are far fewer private schools, for example, um, than there are in other parts of the country. Two, geographically, Wales is big and it's represented only by Glamorgan cricket. Glamorgan cricket is its title, but it, it's Wales cricket. And he was quite open about that. If you find a good player in the north of Wales a good 13 or 14-year-old cricketer in the north of Wales, and it's four and a half hours' drive to get down to, to Cardiff, to Sophia Gardens, the hub of Glamorgan cricket. So they made this. They took this decision in, in October 2020 to absorb all of the costs for youth cricket in Wales at the elite level. And the impact will only be seen, hopefully, down the line uh, in the next few years. But it was done in part because of the values of the club, because the club needs to try and protect and nurture cricket uh, among its among its people, but it was also done because they felt like this is the best way to f to develop real high end county cricket professional ready cricketers, and that the system as it stood beforehand wasn't really doing that as as effectively as they wanted them as as they wanted it to be. So there's a there's a professional element to it, and there is a philosophical a large philosophical element to it. Uh, but the impact is that the numbers are now going through the roof and people are slowly start parents in particular are slowly starting to gather that uh, this idea that while Wallace touched on very much so this idea that cricket is out of reach that that notion is slowly being broken down and hopefully as he said to me that that perception will be if not eliminated then certainly shrunk to size in Wales 
uh, and that they will be able to bring through so many more good young cricketers who are now able to access the game in, in ways that they, they, they couldn't and, and were unable to beforehand. Why aren't other counties doing this? Well, it's not uh, a clear picture. And I've been, I've been writing, I've been researching as best I can on this. I spoke to you, I think, about, about the work that Essex are doing in particular, um, the number of bursaries, the, the, the subsidies that are offered to parents from certain lower income backgrounds, uh, more disadvantaged econo- economics and so on and so on. Um, and other counties are, without naming them, are maybe less switched on to, to these challenges. And in part, it's a reflection of the, of the, of the socioeconomic uh, realities of that region. Um, you know, Surrey, 35% of schools in Surrey are are public schools, according to, to Dan Feast, who is Essex's operations manager, and he lives in Surrey. Um, the number of private schools or public schools, whatever you want to call them, in, in Wales, as Wallace says, are, is dramatically lower per head than, there, than, than in many other parts of the, count, of the country, especially in the south. Um, so I asked Wallace what the biggest obstacle to all of this was, and he said people getting to know this the perception is the biggest thing to break down because you are working against a very long established perception of the game uh that's what they're working against that's what they're trying to wrestle with and and the more that these kinds of stories can get out and be reported in the press the more perhaps that conversation can be advanced and then other counties can consider and i'm not saying that they that most of them aren't but Glamorgan are the most well-established and the most radical. Uh, and hopefully, other counties will be, will be taking note. Mm. Well, good on Glamorgan. Um, the IPL finished this week. The Gujarat Titans emerged victorious in their first ever tournament. Hardik Pandya took three for 17 off his four overs in the final. He has now won the competition five times. We've not given the IPL a huge amount of love over the last couple of months, I think it's fair to say on this show, but I have genuinely really enjoyed the playoffs. I think the IPL, more than most other sporting competitions, is so much more positively influenced by the crowd and the energy around the games, and having the full crowds for the playoffs was amazing. Um, it gives a it gives it a bit of soul, exactly. Which you know, when they were playing the UAE to no one, the sort of commercialism of it mm. really, you know. It's right in your face. And it's still always going to be right in your face. Yeah. Sponsors' names are getting screamed out on commentary. and that You know, they Every try and fit seconds. it in yeah. quite organically and sometimes it <laughs> comes off well and sometimes <laughs> it really doesn't come off well. Um, but when there's, you know, that many people watching a game of cricket and enjoying it, it makes you feel a bit better about <laughs> the whole thing. And yeah, 100,000 100, people <laughs> screaming when Shubman Gill hits yeah, the yeah. winning six yesterday was, was pretty special. Elsewhere in the IPL... Butler scored another 100. It's fourth of the competition. Uh, no one has ever scored more hundreds in a single IPL than Butler. But Ty, you had a really good stat about Coley's 2016 IPL. Which yeah, I was... so I was looking because I, I knew that Butler had finished, still hadn't beaten Coley's mark of the most runs in IPL season. But my inkling was that, oh, he's probably done it at a better strike rate. <laughs> he hadn't. Coley did it at 151. And I think Butler did it at 149. Um, just kind of... Because of what Coley's, you know, been through in the last couple of years with his mm. form, there were times where he kind of forgot just how good he was. Mm. 
it's 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 a positive thing, right? Is it that a new franchise wins it? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I is it is it? So I don't I don't know either. I guess. Well, do you want to see more teams in the IPL? No, I, I don't I, want to. I don't cannot, want to see it going on more. Well, you then, cannot have more. But you then, absolutely cannot have more from a viewing point of view. I wonder if a new team winning it has an influence mm. on that. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it's good for sporting integrity on the one hand that the dominant teams are no longer dominant. You know, Mumbai Indians finished bottom, I believe, and Chennai were down there, albeit they were down there last year as well. Yeah. Uh, well, they, 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 yeah, they won it last year. The weird sorry, the year, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, the year before. Yeah, yeah when they were like Dad's Army side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but then, so it's good on from a sporting integrity side on the one hand, but then on the other, you, you kind of create this franchise with obviously no history by definition, uh, but you recruit well. And then suddenly you win the thing. And it, it's a rather peculiar scenario, is it not? You yeah, know, no, the, it, the, the, it so is. So much weird. of sport is driven by, and you use the word soul, it's, good, it's a good description. So much of it is driven by, by a sense of togetherness, a sense of affiliation, of allegiance, of, of attaching yourself to something that is discernible and you recognize it and it feels meaningful to you as a fan. Uh, and that deepens over time. Well, perhaps, you know, the Titans will become the Mumbai Indians of the next 10 years of the IPL, and if so, fair play. But it was a slightly odd thing to watch, you know, a, 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 new, a newly contrived franchise, uh, but clearly been well run because they've, they've, they've recruited very well. Suddenly they end up there. Boom. Won it. Well played. <laughs> they, were, they were genuinely my favourite team to watch in the competition, partly because they had so many different players win Player of the Matches awards and stand up at different times in the competition. They also, Rashid Khan aside, were, were actually light on genuine T20 superstars. Pandya had had a difficult couple of years. I don't think he bowled a single ball in at least one of the last two IPLs, but bowled really well this tournament. Um, he was batting high up in the order, batting at four, something he never really did at Mumbai. Um Shuman Gill had a good tournament. David Miller had an extraordinary IPL as a finisher. Rahul Tawati was brilliant. Um, Rashid Khan, you've Lock, seen Lockie, him hit Lockie the Ferguson ball. as well. Lockie, Lockie Ferguson bowled a ball yesterday at 97.8 miles per hour. Yeah, 157k yeah. or something, yeah. Um, and they just, had a, they just had a solid team. They didn't really have a weak link. And then with the, with, the yeah, and with the expanded tournament as well, um, there were teams that had star names but obvious weak links and Gujarat were just solid across the board and, and that won it for them. My favourite moment from the playoffs though was uh, in the Eliminator where 28-year-old RCB batter Rajat Patidar hit 100. He was unsigned at the auction and only came into the tournament as an injury replacement uh, at base price. So pretty extraordinary turnaround for him. He'd only played a handful of games in the IPL before, like four games in 2021. So, and, and, and this is effort. this is one of the great charms of the tournament. This mm. is what they do, um, and and it's played out across Indian media as well. I mean, films are made of it, and documentaries appear on Netflix and so on. But th this idea that you can be transformed—you know, you can become iconic almost overnight—that uh, that's still an immensely seductive idea that the IPL plays upon. You know, and. And and you you had it with Imran Malik the the new quick just as you had it with Padikar as well and 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 there is there is a, a sense of scale to the thing that is still magnificent and cricket needs that absolutely it does the one thing that struck me though and this is not a criticism in any way of the IPL this is just the nature of sport but you spend a long long time building to that moment and then one team gets 130 for nine and then you realise pretty soon in the piece 
oh, this this game's just going to die a death, isn't it? Yeah, there were and, and, and it was an unshakable in, anticlimax to yeah, it. Yeah, there were some moments in the run chase. I'll do where, me a favour. Well, they, they needed about eight and over at one point, and you're like, you it never was the know. worst kind of T20. It, it, it wasn't. If you're going to get low score, you want it to be pretty tight at the end. And then this this was not. But one thing that Indian cricket definitely does need is an expanded women's tournament. The Women's T20 Challenge happened this week. It's the fourth time the tournament has taken place and it just has four games. Um, the Supernovas won it. They had Deandra Dottin, Harmon Precor, Sophie Eccleston, Sune Luce and Alana King. Dottin hit 62 up top in the finals. They defended 166. King took a three for Eccleston, took two. But on the depths of Indian cricket and the talent that there is there, the uncapped batter Kiran Navgira hit arguably the innings of the tournament. She hit 69 or 34, batting at three for Velocity, who were chasing 191. So that, that there is talent there for an expanded tournament. And I think four years after the first one, it now just looks increasingly out of sync with the direction of travel that women's cricket is going with the big bash being the tournament that it is. Uh, you had the Fair Break in- Invitational, which was a tournament which, without the money, anywhere close to the money of the IPL that put on a better spectacle than the Indian uh, tournament could put on. And obviously the 100 was brilliant here last last summer. So that is it's just falling behind and it shouldn't do with the money and investment it has in there. In the Charlotte Edwards Cup in the UK, 27-year-old uncapped Southeast Stars batter Ailish Cranstone is Good the player. leading run scorer in the tournament so far. She hit another unbeaten 50 this week in a win for the Stars. She has 199 runs from four innings so far. Danny Wyatt hit 76 in a win for the Vipers over the Lightning. And Western Storm captain Sophie Luff scored 78 yesterday as her side beat the Sunrisers in a double header at Taunton. There are a few of those over the weekend, it'll be interesting to see how those games go and the crowd you get in for them. Um, if you've not seen the Heather Knight catch from yesterday, find that on Twitter. Brilliant catch at mid-off. A uh, bit of other news from the women's game this week. Tash Farron has become the latest England bowler to suffer a stress fracture of the back. She is unfortunately out for the summer as well. Um, elsewhere in the international game, Sri Lanka beat Bangladesh. Uh, in the match that was happening as we recorded last week's show, uh, the Seema Asitha Fernando took six for 51 to help bowl Bangladesh out for 169 in the third innings and Sri Lanka won by 10 wickets, giving Chris Silverwood a winning start to his tenure as Sri Lanka coach. Uh, there is an interview with Chris Silverwood on wisdom.com with Tawid Qureshi that is uh, it's a good read. It, it's, it gives an interesting perspective to how Silverwood looks back on his time as England coach. Um, so I would recommend. I that. I'll check that out. Would, would recommend um, giving that a read. Proper win, that. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, very, very few teams. Admittedly, the West Indies did it last year, but very few teams go to to Bangladesh and and win Test series out there. And also, their seamers doing it as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Chamira, who's properly fast at the IPL, to come back into that setup as well at some point. So, I think we've said this a, a few times about Sri Lankan cricket. It's been in the doldrums, but certainly, well, across the board in all formats, to be honest. And obviously, there's all kinds of, of concerning things happening off the pitch as well in, in Sri Lankan life. But but there are shoots of recovery definitely in their in their, their test mm. side, uh, and it's good to see. A couple of things to finish off the show. Uh, Ricky Clark might have retired from first class cricket last year, but he's still in the runs. Clark scored 229 off 109 balls, playing for Shruton Cricket Club against South Wilts's third eleven. And it's fair to say the reaction uh, has kind of been split down the middle, really, on 
on Clark's innings and his involvement in a game this low in the Hampshire Cricket League. So this is effectively in the sixth tier of Hampshire cricket. A lot of his former teammates have defended him saying this is this is this is good that you know, it's good experience for the youngsters having an ex pro involved. But, you know, there's something a bit what, off. What what were the figures? Uh, 229 off 109, 16 fours and 22 sixes, strike rate 210. They won, by the way. Uh, Got to fill your boots. That's <laughs> it, Clark's third game this season. And in fairness, in his first two games, he's called 14 and 14. So um, he's 22 not... 22 sixes? Yeah, 22 sixes in 109 balls. So it, it's, it's interesting. It's probably not just um, loyalty among thieves, if you like, that ex-pros and ex-teammates are backing him up it's also that that attitude I guess you know I remember Langer always say, saying you know if I'm playing a benefit game I'm getting 100 runs are runs and <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it comes from a similar sort of place you know to to, to kind of stand as sort of middling idiots like ourselves mm. who have a thrash around on a Saturday afternoon it looks a little bit absurd sure but I guess, you know, if you have dedicated your life to runs and wickets, for better or for worse, also, for richer or for poorer. Part, part of the justification for it. From then that's the why ex-pros. he's punked it on, on Twitter, yeah. clearly. Look but, at me, mate. I've uh, still got it. For, part of the justification from the ex-pros were, was like, yeah, but great experience the opposition. Really? Yeah. Is, it, is it definitely like you're playing Saturday cricket, you kind of want to win, and you turn up and you see a bloke who played for England who was playing... You know, for the Surrey County First Eleven last year, and he's playing against South Wilts's thirds. I'm not crazy about it myself. All I'd say, um, Clark has also said that he's he's actually put a lot of time and effort in with the club uh, over the winter, etc. He does a lot of the gets very hands on, let's say, for, with the club. So it's, it's he's got an attachment with with the club, and he sees it as he's helping them out. But yeah, I'm not I'm not crazy about an ex pro playing in the sixth tier. Um, there was another club game this weekend that we're going to talk about. My club had a tie. Hey, here we um, go. <laughs> Tar and Phil suddenly looked very disinterested, but it was an amazing game. Um, 240 played 240. Were you in the field or with the bat, second oh, half? Bat, second half. So okay. we needed eight to win off the last over, numbers 10 and 11 in. I, That's you, isn't it? I was 11. I missed the first ball. Single off the second ball. Uh, then the number 10 hits. Two down to long on, two down to long on, left. You're scampering with, back to the non-strikers, aren't yeah, you? Did you get then, the slide out? Uh, well, in a, in a bit. Uh, three off, two needed. Then it was a wide, two off, two, uh, dot. Then off the last ball, um, number 10, Callum, tried to ramp him. Idiots. Um, no, if, there was no one at the fine leg. There was no one at fine leg. And um, uh, he missed it. And we scampered a single through to the keeper. Uh, look. Great game, cricket's the winner, but you, felt, you've you've blown it. You've blown eight it off the last over when it's two 10, from 11. two, two from two. You've blown it. Seven you or know four, it as well as seven I do. or four, ten and eleven. Two from two, you've blown it. My, I, I don't know. I don't Just know. get bat on ball. <laughs> two, two from two, you win that game. Callum listens to this podcast, by the sure. way. So I'm sure he's a mighty fine cricket, but Callum, you know as well as I do, you've blown it, son. The justification that there's no one at. What, fine leg? Yeah. Well, you know, there's no one at deep mid-wicket. doesn't mean I'm hitting, you know, six over there. It's an ambitious shot, but also also the thing that jumps out is dot ball, fifth ball. Dot ball, fifth ball. Whoa. What's happened there, well, Cal? You missed it. Don't miss it. Just get something <laughs> on it. You're already in. You've, you've creamed a couple of um, long on. Is the, I think get it's something the first, on it. Kick I think, it. I think it's the first time Hit I've it. ever been involved in a tied game and I didn't know how to feel. 
Like normally, win or lose a close game, there is some kind of emotional release. Like if you win it, you go crazy. If you if you lose it, you're dejected. And this was like, what what am I supposed to feel? And we're like, it took me about forty five minutes to realise that was a good game. There you that go. was a really good there game. There you go. Um, the old metaphor for life thing coming our, out again. Our um, our opener, Rivers King. All right, I mean, we don't need to go amazing, through the whole scorecard. Am- amazing here, innings I've ever seen, I think, in a game that I played in. 98 of 110. Anyway, that is all we have time for on this show. Right. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Tart. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast brought to you by Charles Tirrett. We'll see you next week. Podcast Network.